0: You are listening to Hands At Work Audio. For Digging Deeper, on April 12, 2018, Mark Damore shares tough, uncomfortable, but important words for our pursuit of God's kingdom. He speaks about humility, fear of the Lord, and faithfulness. So it is a privilege to get to be a part of what we get to be a part of here at Hands. And sometimes that privilege can pinch. Sometimes that privilege can be a difficult thing. That privilege comes along with responsibility to steward and carry this thing carefully and well. So I want to start by looking at a few things that mark us as a community, that characterize our community. For many of us, we're surprised that we're even a part of this thing as hands. This hands at work was not our first plan for most of us here in the room. I, I I'd venture to say for all of us. But Christ burst into our lives in unpredictable ways. And sometimes that was a sudden burst. Sometimes that happened over several years. But in bursting into our lives, he's called us to follow him and to spend our life on behalf of others to bring good news to those who desperately need it. That's what we get to be a part of here. There has always been an urgency in what we do. We say that the house is on fire. And by saying that, what we mean is we're we're trying to describe a reality that that is that the lives of children hang in the balance of what we do or what we don't do. This is not just trying to stoke up an emotion to try and give us some fervor to go and, and, and do what we do. It's not an emotional response. Rather, it is trying to See with the eyes of God, the eyes of God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to see the lives of our kids, their families, and the wider community as God sees them, and to respond from this prayerful stance, not just out of this emotional, uh, this kind of raw emotion alone. In Hands at Work, we're always looking over the next hill, right? We know that there are more children out Outside the communities that we're working in and even within our communities We're always looking for what is next and for, for looking at the next street and over the next hill So there's a restlessness about uh, about us There's this conviction within us not to settle down, but to keep moving But it's not just about casting the net wider There's also this burning sense within us that we must continue to go deeper into the lives of our children, into the lives of their caregivers and their families, into the lives of care workers, into the lives of those in the community that we serve. And that in going deeper that we must learn how to bind up the wounds that are there. The abuse, neglect, suffering, loss and trauma cuts deep into their lives. But not only are they wounded, as we continue on in this work and as we continue living together in community, we see that we ourselves haven't yet understood the depth of our own brokenness, of our own wounds. And so there's this eagerness amongst us to learn what we don't yet know and to grow to be able to better care for those around us and to receive care from those around us. But as we have gone deeper... Um, we continue to learn in more profound ways that for all of this brokenness, no matter how clever we become, the answer is not our cleverness. The answer is not to just become good at what it is that we do, as important as that may be, but the answer is Christ. The answer is Christ alone, and it's for us to learn what does that actually mean, to take that each and every day and to say, in Christ alone is my strength. And to learn how to live out of that, because there's so many other things that are alluring to say, I can put my strength in that. But what does it mean for us to say that it is in Christ alone? And so there's this desperation for Christ. Our watchword this year calls attention, calls our attention back to this foundation, right? That Jesus' answer to his disciples 2,000 years ago is the same answer that he would give us today, Right? That Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And because we have experienced this good news, we want to participate more in this good news. We're hungry for it. We've tasted just a little bit of it, and we want more. We want to go deeper into it. This creates for us a passion for the church, for Christ's body, that we get to form a part of. We come to see that we have not chosen Christ, but rather Christ has chosen us and called us to abide in him. It's not our cleverness or our gifting or what we're able to do that gets us into the door. It is the grace of God alone as he faithfully follows through on his plan of salvation that calls us home, that cleanses us, that enables us to be restored as sons and daughters of the living God. We see it is not so much what we do that makes the difference, but who we are becoming in Christ. And it's out of who we are becoming that we're, in, that we're enabled to do that which is good. We want to, so therefore, we want to continue to be transformed ourselves through the Holy Spirit to be matured unto the likeness of Christ and to be used by the Spirit to help others to be matured and to see the way. To be open to the way that those who are those unexpected people around us those people who we think we may have nothing to learn from are the ones who are actually transforming us who are used the instrument to use that god uses to bring transformation into our lives we see that we have not just been chosen individually but we've been chosen as a community we've been called together And so we have this passion to serve the church, to prepare the bride of Christ for his return. So this stokes in us a commitment to live life in community, knowing that Christ has called us from very different backgrounds, different cultures, worldviews, different experiences and ages, different educational backgrounds, different theologies and understanding of God and, and the way to live a Christian life. There's a lot of diversity among us. But living together as one united body gives us witness, gives witness to the one who makes all of that unity possible. Without Christ, we are at each other's throats. We might get along here and there. We might be able to fake it a little bit and kind of make ends meet. But without Christ, eventually that's going to break apart. The center is Christ. So to be sincere in our calling to serve the church, the local church, the church on the hill, and the international church, we must experience the difficult and challenging, but the life-giving and healing community of Christ that we've been called into. So we commit into that. In these and in many other ways, we seek to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. But as we talk about these things that characterize us, and as maybe we think about things that I didn't mention, that, that we say would characterize us as hands and as a hands community, we're forced to ask the question, is it really true? Is it true of me, is it true of us? Do these things really characterize us? Or do we simply talk as if they're true, but if someone looks at our behavior and the way that we act and the way that we do things, And who we truly are, would they be surprised by the things that we say characterize us? Now, one of the things I love most about hands and that I've loved most about hands from the very beginning is that hands at work is a continually unfinished product, right? We're not just trying to get to the finish line and maybe by the end of 2018, we're going to have it all sorted out and it's gonna be good, it's gonna feel nice, right? Finally, we will have received the reward to which we have worked. No, we say we build the plane as we fly, right? And so it is always gonna be the case where we wear shoes that are a little bit too big for us and where we don't live up to what it is that we have been called to. And so perhaps the better question to ask is not, is it true? but is there a fire that continues to burn within us to live according to the calling to which we have been called? Is there a fire in us that draws us closer to Christ to live more and more for him each day, to spend ourselves more on behalf of others, to be more open and honest about our brokenness and our need for salvation and our need for grace To grow and mature, to love and to serve others, is there a fire that burns in us this morning? When we woke up this morning, did we stoke that fire? Did we allow that fire to, to give us warmth and to warm others? To give us light and to give light to others? Because this light, this fire that burns within us, it's not us, right? It's inviting that fire of the spirit within us for Christ to live in us and to burn in us that's what we're talking about in this fire that burns within us do we treat it as a sacred flame do we treat it as something special do we do we look at these characteristics that we say define us as hands And do we treat them as the gift that they are to us as as we strive to learn how to live them out well? So as we reflect on this for ourselves and for our community, it's very important that we don't fall into one of two temptations. On the one side, there's the temptation to simply feel condemned. If we feel that flame is becoming small in us, we can feel like we have failed and that we are a failure and that it is impossible. On the other side, we have to fight the temptation to simply become complacent. To think that it's not even important to ask the question. Why do we have to, have to keep talking about is this passion in us? Is it burning in us? Can't we just can't we just go about our work? It's important to be reflective. It's important to ask these questions of us. I'm reminded over and over in the prophets when God speaking through his prophets says, sleeper awake, I'm deeply convicted by that. How often I feel asleep. How often I need to be roused and shaken and say, "Are you? do you have your eyes open to what it is that I'm doing here? Do you have your eyes open to embrace what it is that I have for you, as God speaks to us. <clears throat> so I want to start in looking to some scripture. I want us to think about the seven churches in Revelation and to remember the context of what John is writing to the seven churches in, that, that we read about in Revelation. So remember, two, what, two weeks ago? It was Good Friday. Two weeks ago, we remembered the death of Christ. And on two weeks Sunday, we celebrated and remembered the resurrection of Christ. For these churches, that wasn't 2,000 years ago. That was a couple decades ago. or I don't know exactly the time frame, but it was recent, right? It was recent. It was within their lifetime that that this had happened. It was raw. It was fresh. And remember what happened after the death and resurrection of Christ. And remember what the death and resurrection of Christ meant. It was the fulfillment of all of God's plan of salvation. What God had promised to Abraham was, beco- was becoming true in Christ, being fulfilled in Christ. And we were invited, not just the Jews, but the Gentiles as well. The whole world was being rocked and shaken by this good news of Christ. And these churches were planted as the church exploded out of Jerusalem. Planted around the Mediterranean and and these churches were on fire. There, there, There was something new. There was a new way of living. A way of living that people thought was impossible before they heard the good news. Of loving and caring for one another. Of having the fruit of the Spirit in us. To love and to have joy and to be patient. To be gentle and faithful to be goodness and generous, to have goodness in us, to be self control These things living within us, it wasn't, it wasn't possible before. People were excited about it. But for those churches, as for us, there's this law, the spiritual law, as it, as it is a physical law as well, that there's things that resist our movement. There's friction amongst us, right? We move out and when we, we can be excited about what it is that we get to be a part of. We can be excited about this fire that burns in us for Christ. And if we're not careful, all of a sudden we find ourselves a month or a year later and that fire has been allowed to die down. That movement, that energy that we had to move, something has worked against that and we find ourselves in a stalemate. And so that's that's who John is writing to. Well, really it's Christ who's who's speaking to John to write on Christ's behalf to these churches. So I want to focus in on the church in Laodicea. In this passage, it it speaks to us today, both in terms of a warning and in terms of giving counsel for what to do to prevent what it is that was happening in the the Laodicean church. And so Revelation chapter 3, verse 14 to 22. It reads, and to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witnesses, sorry, the faithful and true witness, the origin of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either cold or hot, so be So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Do you not realize that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked? Therefore I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white robes to clothe you And to keep the shame of your nakedness from being seen. And solve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. I reprove and discipline those whom I love. Be earnest, therefore, and repent. Listen, I am standing at the door, knocking. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to you. And eat with you. And you with me. To the one who conquers, I will give a place with me on my throne. Just as I myself conquered and sat down with my Father on his throne, let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. They can be very tough words for us to hear and to take in. If I'm honest, as I read it for the first time in preparing, there's lots that I wanted to point to to say, this isn't me, and this could never be me, and I'll tell you exactly why. And if these are easy words for us to hear, then I would suggest that we don't catch the depth of them. But if they make us uncomfortable, it's good because they can point us towards the source of life and goodness, and that that source of life and goodness is not ourselves. So I want to talk out of this text and to focus on three things. I want us to talk about humility, I want us to talk about fear of the Lord, and I want us to talk about faithfulness, because that's, I think, what this text is pointing us towards. So humility, well, it doesn't, it doesn't take a biblical scholar to read what makes us humble in this text. As we read, you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Was that because the Laodiceans were bad people and doing things all wrong? Is that what made them in that state? I don't think so. I think it's describing the state of all of us as people. This is how we are, right? This is our state. It's a tough truth. It's bad news, (laughs) right? Before we can receive the good news, we have to receive the bad news that we are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. But the good news is that we're not left alone. So I won't take a lot of time to talk about humility, it's one line but it takes an immense amount of courage to embrace it for ourselves, to be able to read these and acknowledge that that's me. Without Christ, without the goodness of the way, the truth, and the life, I'm wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. It doesn't matter how much money I have. It doesn't matter how much success I have. This is my state. And I think it's important that we begin there because it sets us up to talk about what it means to embrace this, to to surrender this small vision that we have and embrace this wider vision that God is pointing us towards. So I wanted to talk about fear of the Lord. What do we mean by fear of the Lord? We don't talk about it very much, and I think we understand why. <laughs> One, we don't understand it, but two, it sounds scary. Right? It's right there in the beginning, fear, and the Lord, the fear of God. God, if if I'm honest, God, as God is intimidating. <laughs> Who am I, right? So when I think of this, when I hear the words fear of the Lord, if someone was standing up here and saying fear of the Lord, and I was sitting in a chair right now, here's what would come to my mind. Maybe it's the same for you. I would think of God as judge. I would think of God as a disappointed father who is waiting to punish me. I would think of a God who I'm constantly right on the edge of being in trouble with. That's how I understood fear of the Lord. I understood fear of the Lord as being scared of God and trying to behave in the way that I should out of that fear. But this isn't what's meant by this term, fear of the Lord. It's a a term that's throughout the Old Testament. It's a term that is hard to define for sure, but it is not used in ways that say, be afraid of God. That's not what's being said here. In Psalm 130, it says, forgiveness comes from you, God, and therefore you are feared. Are you scared of someone who's going to forgive you? <laughs> no, right? It breaks down. It, it shows us that this fear of the Lord, this to fear God, what we hear about here is not about being scared of God. It's about something else. It points to something else. In Proverbs 28, it says, happy is the one who fears the Lord always. And I don't think the proverb is trying to convince us of, if you want to be happy, just be scared of God. That's, the, that's our place. That's what we need to do. No, I think it's reflecting, it's, it's revealing something different to us. And when I think of what it means to live in the fear of the Lord, I think of the example that we see in Job. In Job, he's chatting with his friends. We know the story well, I think, Right? He's lost everything. He's chatting with his friends. He's telling them that he's done everything right. He made the widow's heart leap for joy. According to Jewish ethics, Job did what was right in the way that he lived. But when God responds to Job, he doesn't crush him by telling Job all the wrong things he did. Rather, as I read it, he basically says, stop looking at yourself, Job. Were you there when I laid the foundation of the world? No? Okay. And then he goes on for, I think it's four chapters. He goes on for a long time to sink it deep. And even halfway through, Job kind of gives a response. And God keeps going with, were you there? Did you create this? Were you, do you know what happens when this animal gives birth to you? Revealing that, Job, you don't understand. Your view is this when all of this is what I'm doing. There's a lot that we can learn in that. God, I think, is saying that we should stop judging ourselves, stop judging others, and stop judging God himself by our own way of measuring things and, ex- and to respond as Job did. But if we read the book of Job, in a way we, we want to think, why didn't God just show up chapter one? <laughs> right? That would have made it easier, right? Job, God shows up to Job chapter one, gives this speech. Job responds, fantastic, that sounds great. That would be easier, right? But it would, it would ring as untrue to us, wouldn't it? We need 42 chapters to get to where Job is. We need that in our own lives, right? So let me read what Job responds. I know that you can do all things, God, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Hear and I will speak. I will question you and you declare to me. He's quoting God there, what God spoke to Job. And then Job responds, I had heard of you by hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Finally, there's this humility, this embrace of who Job is, pitiable, poor, and naked in the face of this embrace of all of who God is not to crush us, but to be invited into all the goodness that God has for us. Eugene Peterson describes fear of the Lord as a term that helps us to define what it means to live a resurrected life, to live the life that we are called to as followers of Christ. And it is an all-encompassing term. It helps to define all of what we do and all of who we are, and all of how we go about living. It embraces the way that we speak to one another. It embraces our work. It embraces our family. So by speaking about fear of the Lord, it takes our eyes off of ourselves and places them on who God is, what God does, and very importantly, how God works. That he doesn't show up in chapter one. (laughs) It takes 42 chapters in Job to get where Job gets to in the end, in in this reverence, in this awe, in this fear of the Lord. He warns that if we start off with focusing on who we are, what we do, and how we do it, we get ourselves into deep trouble very quickly. And I think that there's real wisdom in this, because I know my tendency as Mark is to want to know what to do, how to do it, so that I can get busy doing it but I find myself in these situations either failing this, failing in this, and so feeling guilty about it, or doing great in it, being puffed up in pride, still feeling unfulfilled and empty. (laughs) That wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. (laughs) And in that state of either feeling like a failure or feeling empty despite my own best efforts, I'm very quick to then look at the next thing to do, the next secret that I can be let in on, the next practice that I can do to make make myself feel better. If we're honest, it would be easy if the answer for us was to just sit back and say, it's all God's. God's taking care of it. Don't worry about it. God is doing it. Equally, it would be easier if it was just all up to us, if it was just for us to figure it out, We could sit down, we could draw up a plan, we could put our heads together, we could find the best way of doing it, we could move in that direction, and everything would come out right. But it's difficult to enter into the mystery of God. The mystery that it is to keep God at the center, and the mystery that it is that he has invited us into the work that he is doing. And I think there's a great... There's a, there's, there's a goodness, I should say. There's a goodness in the fact that this term fear of the Lord puts us off a little bit. It offends us a, a little bit. We can't wrap our arms around it. We don't really know what how to define it well. I think it can humble us. I think it can make us feel a little less certain that we know everything and can, and can move forward into feeling sure that we know everything. But it can, if we choose it can make us more attentive. It can make us more expectant for what God has for us. Because if we hold on to what it is that we know to be true, we block out, we close our eyes, we fall asleep. One of the ways that people talk about fear of the Lord is to say, if we don't embrace this concept of fear of the Lord, if we're we're not reflecting on what does this mean for us, what's actually happening is we're being controlled by so many different influences that we have, that we have these controlling influences on on our lives. And so I think it's important for us to ask, what are these controlling influences in our lives? What is it that controls us? What is it that motivates us? What is it that moves us? Is it the need to impress and to receive affirmation from our parents, our spouse, or someone else? Is it our desire to feel comfortable and to have pleasure and to live that life that we thought we'd always live? Is it our need to be at the center, to be in the know, to be a part of the action? Is it our need for acceptance, companionship, and intimacy? These are all natural things. To be affirmed, to be a part of something, To be in relationships. But if we look to ourselves or to others to complete that in us, we're blinded. We're we're, going to lead, we're going to find ourselves in trouble. It is only Christ where these things can be fulfilled. And we have to learn how to live this out day to day. Tim Keller says, uh, says it like this. He says, Paul teaches us in his writings that there is that if there is anything with a greater controlling influence on you than the reality of God's love for you, you will not be in a position to serve others unselfishly. Only out of the fear of the Lord will we be liberated to serve one another. I'm struck by that word, will we be liberated? I'm desperate to be liberated. I'm desperate for freedom from these compulsions that pull me this way and that way, from this unremitting restlessness that keeps my attention away from God, to be liberated from my small and self-centered viewpoint, to be liberated into the breath of what it means to be a son of God. I'm desperate for it. But when I lose that desperation, that fire goes down. So how do, we, how do we cultivate this fear of the Lord? Eugene Peterson says it like this, The primary way in which we cultivate fear of the Lord is in prayer and worship, personal prayer and corporate worship. We deliberately interrupt our preoccupation with ourselves and focus our attention on God we place ourselves very intentionally in sacred space in sacred time in god's holy presence and there we wait we become silent and still in order to listen and respond to what is other than us to respond to god once we get the hang of this we find that we can that this can occur at any time and place but these times of prayer and worship continue to provide the base for us. So I'm going to mention again prayer, worship and reading scripture. These are not breathtaking. These are the things that we talk about nearly every week and that we've been talking about for about 2000 years as the church, right? But it continues to be the thing, the things that give us focus and enable us to, um, to keep this fire burning by having this expanded vision of what it is that God is doing. <clears throat> we have for ourselves revealed in Scripture. So we've talked about prayer and worship, and finally, Scripture. When I think about Scripture, I think so often of Peter's response to Jesus when Jesus asks him, are you going to go as well? When the crowd left Jesus and he turned to his disciples and said, are you guys going as well? And when Peter looks back at him and says, where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. To be honest, I'm really quite flippant about this, about this, this book. I'm flippant about the Bible. I take it for granted. It's there. It's, It's always there. I can always read it tomorrow. But I think we've all had the experience of being shaped by where we put our mind and our attention. How often, now be honest out there, those people who binge watch TV, Boosie, I see you sinking your head. <laughs> for those of us who are watching 24, uh, for 24 hours straight, um, that's that's not you, Boosie. But but for those of us who watch tele- a TV show for very regularly, we begin starting to actually feel like the characters to talk like the characters to to find ourselves in that same world that the characters are in, right? Am I right? Is this just me? Please. Uh, okay. There's affirmation here. Thank you. But it's the same with scripture. We have for ourselves revealed in scripture a different world than the one that surrounds us day to day. It's a strange world, one that no matter how familiar the stories themselves are, the world itself remains unfamiliar to us. This revealed world seems quite foolish to us. It tells us that the one who is great must be least of all. And we often think that what is revealed in this scripture could use some improving upon. It was important and good back then, but we've learned so much more now. And we have so much more wisdom to apply into this. So we're just going to tweak this a little bit. We do it, I think, even when we're not conscious of doing it. But one of the greatest strengths of scripture is that it defies our attempts to build a box around it. We wrestle with it, we dig into it, we are shaped by it. There is power in it, but we cannot control this thing. This has a con- this has a power that extends beyond our control. When we do control it, it stops being holy scripture. It stops being the revealed word of God and simply becomes our own words. Instead of bringing life, it simply brings death. So prayer, worship, and reading scripture. Healing our capacity to live and to operate and to to truly live out of this fear of the Lord. Eugene Peterson, again, talks about, says says this in cultivating this fear of the Lord. He says, we continually find ourselves walking on holy ground and living in sacred time. In the way that we get to gather here this morning, in the way that we'll move out from here and go into different meetings, in the way that we go and spend time with our care workers in the community and our kids at the care point, in the times that we get to visit together in homes, do we have a sense of the sacred? That when we sit and when we talk about, well, it's holy ground when we go and do holy home visits. What does that mean for us? How do we cultivate that? How do we grow that in us? Are we aware that we're living in sacred time? We're called for a purpose here today. There's an urgency to it. There's something that God has for us today that if we miss it, it's gone. There's an urgency to what we do. So finally, I want to speak just quickly about faithfulness. When we've cultivated this fear of the Lord in us, what is our response? I want to suggest that our response is faithfulness. when we cultivate this fear of the Lord, what we cultivate within us actually is the fruit of the Spirit. And we know them well. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. But I want to focus on faithfulness in particular today. <clears throat> I'm convinced the more I spend time in ministry and the more I try and live a life that's centered on Christ. I'm convinced that the thing that will make us successful or not is the way in which we are faithful. Michelle and I had the opportunity to spend time in DRC uh, three weeks ago or so, some time ago. Uh, and so it was about three weeks ago that we were in Kembov, and Kembov is is far from Lakasi. You have to drive over this very bumpy road and actually honestly probably the bumpiest roads within the community very rutted and and it's a rough community there's there's a spirit of darkness in the community it's tough there's suffering there's brokenness there's loneliness there's a harshness there i don't think it was just that i was having one of those days i, I think it was i think it's true there's a difficult spirit there we went for a home visit, and we were planning to do several home visits, but but we we ended up doing one, and 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 with it was with a, a woman named Gogo Pauline. Gogo Pauline was originally from Zambia, actually, so it was nice to practice a Zambia greeting and feel like we were like we knew how to speak something again. Um, but as the care worker who who retold Gogo Pauline's life, you could see that there was a strong relationship there, and so that was encouraging. Koko Pauline has lived a very difficult life. Her, her husband has died years back. Um, her first three children, her three eldest, have passed away. And she speaks about that in the way of, yes, absolutely missing her children and feeling the burden of having seen and her children die needing to bury her children. The loneliness that that creates, but also the way that that was... That was her expectation of how, how she was gonna live into retirement was the way her children cared for her and now they're gone. She lives in complete dependence upon those around her bringing her food. So there's nothing else. It's all she has is the generosity and goodness of those around her. She cares for three of her grandchildren. Those three grandchildren, their father ran away and in given the stress of it, after that, the mom ran away. And the mom now is a prostitute in one of the mining towns down the road. And it's been a long time since they've seen their mom. And so now Gogo Pauline is caring for these three grandchildren. She has a son who uh, who, who has uh, who is intellectually challenged and so is burdened by that and finds that difficult. Her other daughter lives on the back side of the house, or the front side actually of the house. Um, and her daughter had a daughter whose husband was killed in a mining accident, leaving children behind. And under the pressure that she faced, she also ran, leaving these children with Gogo Pauline's children living on the front side of the house. And so, as we heard this story of, of difficulty and challenge and suffering and loss and grief, there was still this, Gogopoline actually didn't talk all that much when we were there initially. The care worker told the story. Um, you, you could see that she knew her well. But there was this quiet strength about Pauline. There was this smile on her face. And and so at the end of the home visit, I, I wanted to encourage Gogopalene. And so I I said, Gogopalene, I see there's a strength in you. I see Christ in you. And then that opened up this floodgate in which Gogo Pauline talked about what Christ meant to her and how she attends church each Sunday. And we asked her, does the church come and visit you? And she says, no. And she then said, and my son, my son-in-law always says, the church never visits you. Why do you keep going there? And she says, it's not because of them visiting. I'm not going there to get something out of this. I'm going there because this is where I find life. This is what I'm called to do. I've been going there for 45 years. This is my home. It doesn't matter what they do. <laughs> I go to be with Christ, I go to be with Christ's people. She then spoke about what it meant for Christ to be with her through these difficult times. And we, we sat there and we got to share about what Christ meant for us. But we were so incredibly blessed. And I looked at this, this woman. She was, uh, she was 75, 4, 70, 74, 75. She lived such a tough life, such a difficult life. And yet the difficulties and the challenge and the suffering and the loss is not what defines her. What defines her is who Christ has been for her, and this faithful response to continue to care well for her family. I was so deeply challenged that day. Angel and Michelle and I walked away just blown away. at this faithful woman, this, this, this champion of faith, this hero of faith that's in our midst, that's in the midst of this community that's absolutely broken, but is there as a shining light for those of us who have eyes to see it it's the privilege that we have as hands to be a part of gogopoline's life and to be open to gogopoline stir being used by the spirit to work in our lives gogopoline for me in the last 3 weeks has been a challenge of what it means to live faithfully in a response to all that God is doing so to conclude what does it mean to keep this fire burning in us I want to suggest that firstly it means we have to have our eyes open we have to ask our, ourselves the question and for us as hands this is a season for us to be asking ourselves these fun, foundational questions as we grow, as we learn, as we have many beautiful things that we've seen built up from nothing. Look at where we sit right now. It's beautiful. It's incredible. This was nothing. (laughs) And by God's grace, we were able to build it. But do we sit back in it and allow ourselves to be comfortable in it? Or do we use this as, as an instrument, as a tool, as a motivation to extend even further. To do that, we require humility to recognize that we get it wrong more than we get it right. We're pitiable, naked, poor. This is our state. We require Christ. And we even in our faithfulness, we, were, we see so little of God. We need to continue to break open our imagination of what it is that God is doing in us, in our midst, what it is that he's called us to, to recognize that this is sacred space, sacred time that we get to be a part of. And having understood that, or, or, or not understood it, but having spent time there, having abided in Christ there, to learn what it means to respond faithfully, to define our actions by what it is that Christ, who it is that Christ is to us, how Christ works. Thank you for joining us. Double, double, double dot,